And if we're doubting while we're asking God for things, we are unstable Christians. Unstable. Does the word say that, guys? This is why I preach it. Do you think if I was a good field preacher that I'd be preaching that scripture right now? Would I preach it if I was a good field preacher? If I wanted to make you feel really, really encouraged, would I be telling you that if you doubt you're unstable and you're double-minded? Would I be quoting that part of scripture? But why is it there? Ask yourself that question. Why is it there? Why is it in scripture? You know, there's many Christians in the world that they, they, they say things like, you know, oh, you don't need church. And then you, you say, would you die for Jesus? Absolutely. Would you go to church? Oh, no. <laughs> but they would die for Jesus, but they won't go to church. They won't commit to church, which is easier. Is it easier to come to church than it is to, you know, get racked up and killed? I think it's easier, isn't it? So how, why are Christians not going to church? Oh, we haven't found the right church. We haven't found the right... Well, look. Seek and you shall. Fine. At Buzzard Oak Chapel sitting here. <laughs> we're, we're waiting for people. I mean, you know, if you seek, you'll find Buzzard Oak Chapel. <laughs> we'll try to keep it as biblically orientated as possible. How do we stay so doctrinally pure as we are as a church because I feel to a strong degree we're very doctrinally pure but um, I'm not saying we're perfect uh, are we Andy? we're not, not perfect have you seen any flaws? not like not like <laughs> 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 next time see <laughs> yeah, there's chips in our armour alright but um, we're trying to stay doctrinally and the way I, I, I do that this is from my ministerial point of view from I'm thinking, Lord, how do, how do I not get led astray like so many ministers I know of who get sucked away and they get that far along that they get pulled in the Freemasonry and the next thing you know they're part of this you know, Council on Foreign Relations and they're all involved in you know, very dark proceedings and they still lead churches. How do I not... And how do I come into church and stay on, on, on uh, uh, pure to the Scripture and not teach false doctrine? How do I do that? And the Lord says, very easy. Preach a lot of Scripture. Preach a lot of Scripture. Let's go to James chapter 1. And we're going to go from verse 5. This is verse by verse study through the book of James. And we did 5 and 6 last week, but I'm going to read them again because to keep the context of verses 7 and 8, you need to read 5 and 6. That's why I was meant to do four verses last week, but we never got through them. Um, so verse 5 says this. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, any of you lack wisdom? Who's willing to put up their hand and say, I lack wisdom? Yeah. We can say that because who is wisdom? Jesus Christ is wisdom. All wisdom comes from Him. Anyone speaks of, you know, there's worldly wisdom and there's heavenly wisdom, isn't there? How many people have worldly wisdom? Well, most of us do have worldly wisdom. It's not that rare. And actually, there's many people out there teaching worldly wisdom. And it works in the world. But it's not going to work in heaven. How many of us, though, need heavenly wisdom? And does that come naturally to you? No, it comes by who? By the Holy Spirit. You get heavenly wisdom from the Holy Spirit. You don't get heavenly wisdom from the world. And you don't get it from your nature. It doesn't just come to you, you know, uh, without supernatural intervention. You know, So that's why we go to the Scriptures, because the Scriptures is where you receive heavenly wisdom. Amen? And that's why God says, read it every day. Because as quick as you read it, you can get it in your heart. You believe it one day, the next day you wake up and you just resort to worldly wisdom again and live that day in worldly wisdom, with worldly wisdom. Who knows what I'm talking about? It's very easy to live with worldly wisdom. I think you need a little bit of worldly wisdom, though. How to navigate the world in a sense. But you need to use worldly wisdom 
with heavenly wisdom. Amen? Because I, I study worldly wisdom because there's some great worldly wisdom. Who knows that? You know, you need to, if you're in business, you better study the wisdom of business. Or else you're going to be, you fall flat on your face in business. Amen? So 1 verse 5, again I'll read it. And it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. So he won't look at you and say, I'm not going to give you much wisdom because I've found fault with you. Man, none of us will get wisdom. If he finds fault with us and doesn't give us wisdom as a result. That's, in a sense, if, if the word of God is the bread of life, it's like saying to your children, you've been naughty so I'm not feeding you tonight. Or tomorrow. Or the next day. That's not how he works, is it? He looks at us and he says, okay, you've got your faults, but I'm going to give you wisdom because that might help you not to have your faults. Um, who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Like the wave of the sea. Who knows the waves of the sea? Sometimes you get nice flowing waves. Like Andy's a surfer, so he looks for the good waves. But how many times have you gone out there and the waves are so choppy you can't get anything out of them? You know, waves tossed. That's the waves he's talking about. Storm waves. Waves that are going in every direction. You want to go in every direction? You want to get thrown around in life? Then that's just live with doubt in your heart. Live with doubt in your heart. How many Christians do you know have doubt in their heart? How many of, of you have doubt in your heart at times? You pray for something and then don't believe. I do. I'll be first to admit, I'll pray and then I won't believe. I'll pray and then doubt. And what does it say here? But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. This is verse 6. Because he who doubts is like the way of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything, anything from the Lord. If you doubt, don't expect it. If you ask for prayer in church and we pray, but then while they're praying, you doubt, don't expect it. And while we're praying for someone in church, if we're doubting, don't expect it. Anything from the Lord. We shouldn't. How many times has someone prayed for you and while they're praying, you're doubting? Who's had that experience? You just got to keep saying, I receive it by faith. I receive it by faith. Override the negative thoughts. Override the doubts. With faith-filled thoughts. Just, yes, I receive it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I will not doubt. Lord, kick doubt out of my mind. I will not doubt. I will not accept doubt in my life. You've got to pray that into your heart, don't you? You've got to pray it into your heart. Kick doubt out. He who doubts cancels it out. It was a line that I used in one of my books. He who doubts cancels it out. We can't allow doubt. Amen. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. And, and get this, he's a double-minded man. He's a double-minded. That's not a nice thing. If someone said to you, you're, you're a double-minded man, would you get a bit insulted? It's sort of like, oh, gee, really? Double-minded. Sort of a bit offensive. And that's what James is saying. As a Christian, if you're doubting, you're double-minded. Unstable. In all he does. James is saying that the Bible's saying that if we're doubting while we're asking God for things, we are unstable Christians. Unstable. Does the word say that, guys? This is why I preach it. Do you think if I was a good field preacher that I'd be preaching that scripture right now? Would I preach it if I was a good field preacher? If I wanted to make you feel really, really encouraged, would I be telling you that if you doubt, you're unstable and you're double-minded? Would I be quoting that part of Scripture? But why is it there? Ask yourself that question. Why is it there? Why is it in Scripture? It's there to not just encourage us, it's there to correct us. It's there to say, guys, start to live by faith. Start to not doubt. Kick doubt out of your life. Be, you know, 
seriously um, militant against doubt. You know, make it a lifelong goal. There's going to be no doubt in my heart. heart no, nothing in my Christian life is going to allow me to doubt anything. That if, if someone prays over you something that you really want in your life, and of course it's in God's will, like if you're praying for a healing, and, it's, and you know God wants His people well, amen? Yes. And you pray and say, God, help me not to doubt that I need this. Help me to know that I can, I can accept this by faith. Amen? We can't have it in our life. We can't have doubt in our life. Actually, I think doubt is killing Christianity in the West, personally. It's destroying it. You know, because we, we battle with sin. Who battles against sin? Any of us? Am I the only one? We battle against sin, don't we? And you pray, Lord, help me to over, overcome this sin. Help me to become an overcomer. You pray that, and then the next breath you doubt. And then you walk away with your head hung. And you feel like your prayer was just worthless. It went up, and it came down. This was like, just... And that's what's happening in Christianity. That's why Christianity, we're probably the weakest Christians in... And I'm not saying you guys personally, but Christianity as a whole, especially in the West, I'm not talking about in those countries where there's great persecution... Because those Christians are probably in one way thanking God for the persecution. Because they're finally getting to live out their Christianity with power. They're finally being able to stand for their faith in the face of terrible opposition. And they're not recanting. And they're not turning from, from, their, from their faith. And they're suffering at the hands of these you know, Muslims at the moment in, in certain countries. They're suffering at their hands and they're holding strong to the faith. So their faith is being purified. Their faith is being you know, uh, put through the fires of, of, of tribulation. And in some respects, they'll get to heaven and say, Lord, thank you that you allowed me to go through that. Thank you that I went through that tribulation. And that's why it says through much tribulation we'll enter into the kingdom of heaven. We go through much tribulation to enter in. So the church that is not going through tribulation is the church that is having the most trouble. You know, not that we should wish upon ourselves tribulation. It's crazy to do that. But at the same time, you, you've got to say, Lord, make me strong as a Christian. Make my faith soar. Do something for me to, so I can overcome doubt. I can overcome all these things that is making me a weak and flimsy Christian. How many people have trouble praying every day? Just to pray every day we have trouble. You know, I know Christians, you, you know, there's many Christians in the world that they, they, they say things like, you know, oh, you don't need church. And then you, you say, would you die for Jesus? Absolutely. Would you go to church? Oh. No, <laughs> but they would die for Jesus, but they won't go to church. They won't commit to church, which is easier. Is it easier to come to church than it is to, you know, get racked up and killed? I think it's easier, isn't it? So how, why are Christians not going to church? Oh, we haven't found the right church. We haven't found the right... Well, look, seek and you shall... Fine, at Buzzard Ape Chapel sitting here. We're, we're waiting for people. I mean, you know, if you seek, you'll find Buzzard Ape Chapel. <laughs> we'll try to keep it as biblically orientated as possible. How do we stay so doctrinally pure as we are as a church? Because I feel to a, a strong degree we're very doctrinally pure, but um, I'm not saying we're perfect. Uh, are we, Andy? We're not, not perfect. Have you seen any flaws? Not lately. Not lately. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me next time. See. <laughs> yeah, there's chips in our armour. All right, but um, we're trying to stay doctrinaire. And the way I, I, I do that, this is from my ministerial point of view. From I'm thinking, Lord, how do, how do I not get led astray like so many ministers I know of? 
who get sucked away and they get that far along that they get pulled into Freemasonry and the next thing you know they're part of this, you know, Council on Foreign Relations and they're all involved in, you know, very dark proceedings and they still lead churches. How do I not, and how do I come into church and stay on, on, on uh, uh, pure to the scripture and not teach false doctrine? How do I do that? And the Lord says, very easy. Preach a lot of scripture. Preach a lot of scripture. A lot. Not just one pet scripture, put up a scripture and then let's pull that scripture apart and let's study every single word in that scripture and and before you know it, you're, you're getting led down 15 illustrations later and you can't even remember the scripture and you haven't heard any other scripture. Who's been in churches where that's happened? Yeah? Anyone put up their hand for that one? Yeah? I mean, you haven't been in enough churches. But uh, we've been fortunate to have some really good ministers over the years that, that stuck to the scriptures to the most part. Um, so, but it's very easy to stick to scripture if you preach a lot of scripture. That's my point. And it's very easy to become a solid, rock-solid Christian if you read lots of scripture. And not just read it and gloss over it. Who does that? Who's done the reading and you finish the chapter and you go, well, what was that all about? Can't remember a word. Anyone ever done that? Am I the only one again? Yeah. All the time. It's very easy to just sort of gloss over. So what, what I'm, I recommend you do is read a paragraph, reread the paragraph, reread the paragraph, and again, if necessary, read it. And then again, if you don't get what it's saying fully, Read it and read it and read it. Like, digest it, chew it. Who knows if you just put a mouthful of food and you go, um, 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 swallow. It's graphic. <laughs> is, that good? is that good for you? Yeah. What do they say we should do? We should chew, you know. A hundred times. A hundred times, yeah. yeah. My dinner was having a long time. But that, they do say crazy things like that. Yeah. I reckon, you know, good 10, 15 chews. My, my daughter's always telling me off. Dad, you just gulp it down. You've ever seen a doggy? <laughs> Just off, 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 and the whole tin of pals gone. But shepherds do that, don't they? Just like, did you chew your food? And that's how I, I eat sometimes. You know? But we can eat scripture like that. Gop, 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 gop. We're through it. Put the book. Well, I've read my chapter today. But chew it. Masticate it. You know? Get it in. Get all the nutrients out. Digest it in the mind. Get the mind, the mind has to absorb and understand everything that's in it. You know, there's so much in it that you can get out from it. Why do you think you can come into church every week and hear scriptures you've read so many times and then you get a whole different perspective because the minister brings up a point about it? You know what I mean? And you think, man, I've read that, like, I reckon, 50, 100, 200 times. And I've never seen that. Suddenly the Holy Spirit will show you something else. Well, you know... Uh, when I'm in, this is just from my personal, uh, you know, uh, experience. And when I'm reading scripture at home in the morning, I'll be reading it, and then I'll reread it, and then I'll reread the, just the same paragraph, and I'll keep on going over. And then all of a sudden, God's given me all these um, uh, concepts and thoughts about what I'm reading. And sometimes I have to grab my journal and start writing because I'm seeing things in there. The Holy Spirit's illuminating, and it's like that's you know when the, they say when you pray. Um, no, don't just do all the. Don't just do all the speaking. Listen. Have you ever heard that when you in relation to prayer? Well, when you're reading the Bible and you reread Scripture over and over again, listen, listen, because the Holy Spirit will start to speak to you. The Holy Spirit will start to talk to you about what you're reading, and He will make things known to you. Do you know what I mean? At that moment. And keep a journal handy, something that you can write in, because you can get some really amazing thoughts. And you'll be sending me a text and saying, Rob, I did my Bible reading today, I only did one paragraph. And I couldn't get past it, but I've listened to this. You know, all this stuff that God showed you. And that's how you should read, because then you're really getting something from it, aren't you? Because we're supposed to not just read it, and not even just understand it, but we're supposed to apply it. That's wisdom. You know, there's many people in the world are full of knowledge. You know, I remember a, um, 
a video, uh, or it was on TV, and so it was a, you know, a show, and, and it was a show about uh, obese people. Really, really, like I'm talking, these guys were massive, massive. They had to get brought, brought out of their homes in cranes, taken to the hospital. And this one guy is laying on his bed, and he's the biggest one, one of the biggest in the world ever. And he's massive. He can't do, he can't even roll. He's just laying there. Anyway, the, the guy that's interviewing him started asking him some questions about health and nutrition. And guess what? This guy knew everything. You couldn't tell him anything about health and nutrition. He knew more. And he's laying, he can't move, but he's telling this person all about health and nutrition. And it was a little bit like, yeah, that's ironic, isn't it? You're full of knowledge, like he knew. I remember I, I um, was trying to help this guy who was, because um, I, I do personal training, and I was trying to help a guy who's really, really heavy. He knew all the diets. He knew how to do them all. So when he heard me talk about it, yep, I know, I know, I know that. He knew it all. But knowing is not enough, is it? You must do, you must apply. Knowing the scriptures is not enough. You can win scripture competitions, you know, quizzes. You go to a quiz night on, on scripture and you can win it. But be the most perverse and wicked Christian in the room. So it's more than just knowing, it's applying, it's doing, it's living it. And I'm saying this for me and for my benefit as much as for anyone else's here, for their benefit. You know, if, look, put it this way. If, if just one of us in this room decided to yield 100% to God, one person decides today, I'm going to yield 100% to God for the rest of my life. Firstly, would you be looked after? Put up your hand if you believe you have faith that God would look after you, if you yield 100%. That means you wouldn't go hungry, would you? No. God will look after you, so you don't have to worry about that. So just say, you go, I've yielded 100%, God has told me I've got to quit my job. All right? I'm not saying this to anyone to go, Rob told me to quit my job today. <laughs> I'm yielding 100%. No, yield 100% and then get into a pure communication. He might say, stay in your job, witness to everyone in the room at lunchtime. At Smoker, tell them about Jesus. You know? But if one person in this room yielded 100% to the Holy Spirit, that person would turn Australia upside down. Would turn Australia upside down for the gospel. So my point is, I don't believe anyone, or hardly anyone, in the West especially, is yielding 100% to the Holy Spirit. There's room to go further. Paul, however, when we read about Paul, probably more than anyone else in Scripture, I believe he yielded 100%. Amen? You can't read his letters. You can't read the book of Acts and hear what he went through, that he was imprisoned for the faith and he was told the owner of this belt, we're just reading today, if, you know, he's going to be um, bound and, and this is what the Jews in Jerusalem are going to do to him. And, and he just said, I'm still going. He still went to Jerusalem, even though he had a prophecy telling him what's going to happen to him. They thought by telling him the prophecy that it's sort of like a warning from God, don't go. No, he didn't take it like that. He said, yeah, I already knew that. I'm already, I'm going there because I know that's what's going to happen to me. So I yield. he yielded. He yielded. Now, if God said, Paul, this is going to happen to you and I don't want it to happen to you, so don't go, he wouldn't have gone. But he said, Paul, this is going to happen to you, so just want to let you know in advance. So he went knowing what was going to happen to him. Who of us here would go if someone said, if you go to Melbourne in the next week and you've got a holiday to Melbourne all prepared, that you're going to end up thrown in prison and you're going to be tortured, battered and bruised and etc, etc, etc. Would you go to Melbourne? <coughs> You'd think about it twice. <coughs> so 100% yielding to the <coughs> Spirit. Amen? Who can do it? Who could do 50%? Yeah. I reckon got more chance of doing 50%, haven't we? Mm -hmm. But I think the Holy Spirit is just urging us that there's more, there's more room. There's room for growth as a Christian. 
you know, um, actually I won't go any further because if I go any further I'm not going to finish this sermon at all. I'll put probably another verse, one verse more into it. Now, hang on, was there a bit more? No, that was, that was it. Actually, it's 1 to 10. So, just, we'll go back again. I just uh, re- keep reading your Bibles from verse 9. It says, The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. So, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. Does that sound... See, worldly wisdom, what would worldly wisdom say in that verse? The brother in humble circumstances ought to take place in his, or to take pride in his low position. Is that worldly wisdom? If you read about, um, you know, uh, it's like uh, uh, these motivational statements that you get online about becoming wealthy and stuff, would they say when you're humble and you're not rich... Would, would they call that a high position in life? Or would they call that a low position in life? No. What does the Bible say? The brother in humble circumstances ought, ought to take place in his high position. And then verse 10 says, but the one who is rich, that's what I was talking about. So humble, humbleness or rich. You're either humble in life or rich. So if none of us are rich here, we're humble. But there's more to humbleness, isn't there? But the one who is rich should take pride in his Low position. Imagine saying that to Donald Trump. I hope you're taking pride in your low position. You're a billionaire. You're really low. Millionaires are higher than you. (laughs) (laughs) But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. So what's going on there? We're... And have a quick look. So verse 5 is ask God for wisdom. Verse 6 is ask but don't doubt. We've done those two last week. Verse 7 is doubters get nothing, which we I talked about. And verse 8 is double-minded, unstable, which is a little offensive. But we need to get offended every now and then and hopefully get corrected. That's why people find Christianity so tough. Because it makes them feel, you know, like they're no, no good rot scoundrels at times. You know, I've heard atheists say that. That, that. How do you humble yourself and repent? What do you need to repent of? You know, why, why do they, the, the ministers make you feel bad about yourself? But is that what it's all about? It's getting perspective, guys. That's what it's all about. It's getting perspective of who we are in relation to a holy God. And how much, how far we can go and how far... We can't go without God and how we need Jesus to bridge that gap. So then we honour Jesus for everything he's done. We honour God for sending the Son to bridge that gap. And we just thank him that he saved the wretch like us. Amen. So verse 9 is humble is high and verse 10 is rich is low. Humble is high and rich is low. So this is the reverse of worldly wisdom. So doubters get nothing, James 1, 7, and we'll just quickly read that again. That man should not think he will get receive anything from the Lord. In the Amplified it says, For truly let not such a person imagine that he will receive anything he asks for from the Lord. Let not such a person. And we've sort of done that, so I won't speak about it right now, because I've, I've brushed over that before. James 1, 8 says, He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways, and I like the Amplified now, it really gets into it. For being as he is, a man of two minds, hesitating, dubious, which is to hesitate or doubt, and dubious is also someone that you can't rely on. Someone said, you're dubious, mate. Would, you, would that offend you? Yep. Well, in a way, James is saying that to all of us. Don't be like this. Don't doubt. Because... It's, if you believe that God exists, if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, if you believe he's a prayer answering God, if you believe all these things, if you doubt, it's like the foundation of our faith rots. That's what's happening. Doubt is rotting the foundation of our faith. And we can't have that, can we? We can't have that. As, as true Christians, we can't let it rot our faith. We can't let doubt get in. 
That's why you're here when Paul was shipwrecked on Malta. And he, he goes onto the beach of Malta and he, he picks up some sticks to throw into the fire and a viper, you know, lashes itself on his head. And the, the um, villagers or the, the people of the island were thinking, look, he, he must be a murderer. He escaped the sea and now he's going to die. But the snake couldn't hurt him. And then what happened? They considered him a god. And then he went to the head of the island and he walked in and he was sick and Paul just went in in the name of Jesus to get well right now. And he got well. And then all the sick of the island were brought to him and he just went and laid hands on them all and they all got well. That's what happens when you don't doubt. The only reason it doesn't happen when we pray is because we doubt. It's the only reason I can... Or we have secret stuff happening in our life that God is not honouring the things that we ask for because there's things in our life that we need to deal with. Amen? Who can see this? Who's getting what I'm saying today? Anyone receiving what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, let's go to James 1.9. This is what I wanted to preach on. James 1.9 and it says, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. Amplified says, let the brother in humble circumstances glory in his elevation. When you're humble, when you're, when you're in a sense haven't got the wealth of the people of the world, the Lord can use you and elevate you to great places. And why do you think that is? This one theory just popped into my mind as I was saying it, is... If you're really, really wealthy and you wanted to reach the nations for Christ, right? You could, with your wealth, you could mass, massively, you know, uh, uh, make people aware of you and, and get out there into the world and, and really shape things up because, you know, wealth allows you to do a lot of things, doesn't it? Yeah? You can, so you think of the biggest ministries in the world. Are they pretty rich ministries? Yeah? But a rich man can, can do a lot of things and he doesn't need God. Right? But a poor person who can reach a lot of people for Christ, someone who doesn't have a lot of money, is going to have to depend on God like you've never depended on God before. Who knows David Wilkinson, the story of David Wilkinson and the cross and the switchblade? Anyone read that book? Yeah, yeah a few of us. Well, in that book, he, um, he, he was launching out into things and he had no money at all and he just... By faith, just step forward in God and they just prayed and prayed and prayed and, and things started to take place. They started to receive buildings for orphanages and all sorts of stuff um, so they could uh, further their ministry. So it was clearly the hand of God was working in him and it could be seen very, very clearly. He could not deny it. He couldn't deny it. So in a way, the Lord really likes to use people who have to depend entirely upon him for every step forward. Elevation as a Christian called to the true riches and to be an heir of God. And we're called to true riches. What's, where's the true riches? Where moth and rust and not, does not destroy. Where's the, where are the true riches? In heaven. That's what we're called to. Who wants a really, really beautiful house? Who would love to live by the beach with a beautiful house and, you know, have a Ferrari in the driveway or, you know, some beautiful car like a Hilux or something like that in the driveway? Who would... Who would <laughs> Like, like a beautiful home with a big pool, Alicia. Yeah, Lydia. And a tennis court. If you want to play tennis, yeah. two tennis players. You don't want a tennis court. What about your own basketball court? No. Soccer pitch. Yeah. Well, you don't want that, Elizabeth. No. <laughs> See her out there kicking goals. <laughs> but we want. You know, a lot of people get that, don't they? They have it now. They're living in heaven now. They got their heaven. Actually, and, and it's, it's not heaven, is it? Like they're still riddled with troubles and they've still got problems going on. When we get to heaven, you're going to have the most beautiful home. Beautiful. Better than anything. You get the best home. You go into Trump Tower up on the penthouse suite and the best home, you know, you just want to sit in the White House after living in Trump Tower. Who'd want to go to the White House? Old dingy place. He's going to renovate it, I think. Oh, it'll be completely different. The next president's going to love to move in there after Trump's finished. 
that's, there's some pretty beautiful homes. Who watches those TV shows that show you all the beautiful homes of the rich and famous? Have you ever sort of flicked on a... We don't make a habit of watching them, do we? Like, uh, no, construction. Construction, yeah. Just interesting. But we, um, every now and then I flick it on and you see this most magnificent home. It's just like got everything you can imagine and they're showing you all the little gadgets and what they do and you're thinking, whoa, this place is just a dream. It's nothing. Nothing. Once you get your house in, in, in heaven, if you were to come back and view the best house on earth, it would not compare to the least of the homes in heaven. And that's what we got, we got waiting for us. You know? So don't covet the things of the world. Don't covet having those things. Sure, make your house nice. I'm not against that. I, Vina and I love to you know, do things. We've, we, we got a house when we were first married and it was a pretty, you know, you remember it, Luch and Bill, don't you? It was very humble. Sad. Sorry? What did you say? Sad. Sad. Yeah, it was tired. It was a, a rental property before we moved in there, so it wasn't in a very good state. And just thing by thing, we knocked down a wall here and we... We painted this and we got a new kitchen after 10 years because Vina just bugged me and bugged me because the, the, the doors were slowly falling off all the cupboards in the kitchen. So finally, let's get a new kitchen. And, and you know, thing by thing by thing. And, and now we're just talking about some other things that we want to do. And it's really enjoyable, you know, to slowly do these things, you know. But it's not, you don't walk in and go, man, this is a home, beautiful house. But it's a home. And it's a happy home, isn't it? But, um, you, know, if, you know, if we wanted to, we could go to the bank and say, we need a loan for another $400,000 and we want to go and live in some spectacular home with, a, with everything, all the you know, dream stuff in the house. And the bank would probably more than likely at the moment say, yeah, here you go. You know, love to get us in the debt. So on. But um, we, wouldn't, we're not, we don't have the desire to do that. You know, I don't want to be in debt to some big flash house. Because then when you walk around the house and you're struggling to pay the mortgage and all that sort of stuff, the house becomes a curse to you. Mm. I want to go to heaven where I don't have to pay a mortgage. <laughs> you know what I mean? In heaven, is there a mortgage? Do you get a mortgage when you get up there, Bill? Get up there and God says, hey, you owe me a million dollars for this one. That's a, that's a bargain basement price. <laughs> You'll be paying it off for eternity. How often thank you and worship. Yeah, that's it. Just think every day, go and worship your your God and Father, for the beautiful life He's given you. Well, as I speak about this, doesn't it in a little way seem nearly comical or fictional? Who's getting that sense? Does it? Yeah? The reason I bring this up, you know, I, I'm 47. Now you know, I'm 47. I don't look that old. But I'm 47, and you know what? When I was 21, I never thought I'd ever be 47. You know? And now I'm 47, I'm like, oh, the reality of my age is upon me. Andy, you never thought you'd get to be as old as you are now, did you? And I was saying, Luke, you never thought about it, did you? Elizabeth? Did you ever think? I know, Anthony didn't think you. (laughs) We don't need to. So when the reality of it catches up with us, we're going, oh, here we are. And I remember I, I, I spent, uh, Vina and I used to go and visit my grandmother, and just before she died, she was like, when she had her mind, because she had dementia, so she, her mind faded away, but she was like 88 or something. And she goes, I never thought I'd ever get to this age. I can't believe I'm this old. And it was reality now. Do you know, age catches up with you. Eventually you are the age you never thought you'd ever get to. And then the next thing you know, you're laying on a bed and the doctors are coming in saying, we can't do anything more for you. And, and uh, your family's all around you crying. And you're going, hang on, what's going on? Is, the, is that time upon me? Am I about to face eternal realities? Is, is the eternal reality of the truth of what I believe about to be tested? i tell you what, you'd start repenting, wouldn't you? Lord, just in case, forgive me for this, for this, for this, for this. And Lord, I want to give this 100% of my life now. Oh, I can't do anything now. I'll pray for the rest of my life. But you've only got a day. 
Well, I'm going to pray 24 hours. I'm going to try to make up for all those years. You want to be in that situation, but it's going to happen one day, hopefully not in that negative sense. Hopefully you get there and you go, Lord, I thank you that I've given myself to you with all my heart and I've just lived the life as I should and I've done everything in my power at every step, stage of my life to live the Christian life the way I'm meant to live. And, and now I'm about to be received into my Father's hands and I can rejoice. I can rejoice in this moment. And this is the moment where my faith is going to shine because this is when I enter in. And I know without a shadow of a doubt where I'm going. And you know what? The reality of the, what's going to wait for you in heaven, the reality of that home in heaven that I've been just talking about, that sounds nearly fictional. It sounds nearly comical. Like, is this guy really talking about this? Is this not even true? Is it true? Guys, is there a house waiting for you in heaven? Does the scripture say that? Many mansions in my father's household. Many. And his household doesn't mean one house with many mansions in one house. It means it's his house. We are his house. Do you know what I'm saying? So suddenly you get there. And just as you never thought you'd get old, all of a sudden you enter the gates of heaven. And now the only reality you know is there. You don't know this reality now because this reality is past and gone. Suddenly you're standing in heaven and you go, it's true. It's true. The scriptures are true. It's here. There it is. The gold streets and the beautiful landscapes. Nothing is dead. Not, a, not even a branch is dead. Everything's alive. And there's saints and there's children running. In the fields. And there's the most beautiful smells in the air. And there's the music of angels. The angels are singing a beautiful chorus of praise. And you're standing there going, wow, it's true. Why did I ever doubt when my pastor would tell me about heaven? Why was I doubting? Why would I think this is fictional? Or it's not a reality? Guys, it's a reality. Who knows? Death is real. Has everyone, except for a couple in the mentioned in the Bible, has everyone died? Everyone dies. So that's a reality. It's going to happen. And from all my research, there's only one faith in heaven. Sorry, one faith on earth, under heaven. Only one faith on earth that will keep you. And it will receive you into the kingdom of heaven and will give you eternal life. There's no other name, is there, except Jesus Christ. There's no other name except Jesus Christ and Him crucified for your sin. And so this should be, mean everything to us. This should mean, God, how, how much more can I give of myself? How much more can I give you? How much more can I pray? How much more could I read the Scriptures? How much more could I live a devoted life? Because there's no other reason for life outside of Christ. Sure, we've got things that we have to do, but Christ should be central. Amen. He should be first. He should be everything else in life should be under God. And God should be given first priority and first emphasis in everything. Amen. So I didn't plan to say all that. <laughs> As you know. James 4, 6. Just quickly turn there. I'm going to try to finish the scripture. And we got, how's the food going out there, Shazza? Shazza. <laughs> finished it all. We're in Australia. We can call you Shazza in Australia. You won't get called Shazza anywhere else in the world except Australia. James 4, 6. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. But he gives grace. You want more grace? Humble yourself. Be humble. Who loves humble people? You know, you meet a humble person, you walk away, that person was so humble. Just love that person. They're so humble. One thing, one thing I notice about humble people, really humble people, is they always show a lot of interest in you. You know what I mean? How are you going? What's life been like? Oh, you're not feeling, oh, what's been going on? You know, they, they're inquiring and they, they reach out to you. They want to know about you. 
seems to be the nature of a, of a humble servant. You know, and a sort of humble servant goes together, servant, serving. How can I serve? How can I look after you? Vina's mum was one of the most humble ladies you ever meet. She lived to serve. That's what she did every day, served others. People would come there, flock, flock to her house. I, I had to live there. After I got married, we lived there for about three months or something. Oh, it me crazy, drove me crazy living there because I'd wake up in the morning and come down. Because we, well, we're actually downstairs, but, we, but anyway, I come out into the kitchen and there's people there already <laughs> visiting her. And my, my mother-in-law's up at the making Greek coffee, stirring the Greek. Who knows Greek coffee? Stirring the Greek coffee, and you have to stand there with it because yeah. if you walk away, it always comes ready as you walk away. Who's done that? And it's yeah. everywhere. So you have to stand. And she's always there making coffee and then those people are looking like they're about to leave and you're thinking, oh, we're going to get a break. And then, oh, you <laughs> More people come in and it's, oh, man. It's like a party house every day, but just sitting there drinking Greek coffee all day from morning to night, wasn't it? Oh, I can't do high enough. You do the you. Come on, Vina. There it is. I can't do I can't get that pitch. Um, and so every day... That's, she lived for other people, you know? And, and, and she had such a humble heart. She was so humble and she was so interested in other people except when days of our lives were around. <laughs> she would have the TV on and there would always be a certain group of people that always came right on days of our lives and she'd be sort of, yes, yes. Watching <laughs> days of our lives. She didn't have to watch it. They reckon it doesn't, you know, you can miss it for two years and keep up to speed with where it's up to. But uh, she was a beautiful, humble lady, wasn't she? And we miss her dreadfully. But she's in heaven because she gave her life to Jesus Christ just before she died. Um, she was Greek Orthodox and had no relationship with Christ. She wasn't a religious lady. But she had, I tell you what, her qualities were so Christian. Who knows those kind of people? Such beautiful, beautiful people. You just think, man, just don't get thrown in the hell because you rejected Christ. Receive him. You're a humble, beautiful person. Receive Christ because he's a humble, beautiful man. Jesus Christ came to serve, didn't he? He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. James 4.10 And it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves. We can all do with a bit of humbling. And let's go to Proverbs 29.23. And it says, a man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirits gains honour. There's another scripture that says, pride goes before destruction. So, pride is not a good thing. Should there be pride in the church? Absolutely not. This should be the most humble place you can come. The church should be a place where you come in and everyone is so caring, so concerned about you. So uh, humble in nature, seeing others as greater than yourself. Does it say that in Scripture? Look upon others as greater than yourself. Does it say that? Or did I imagine it? It says it. It says it. We should look to others. We should be, be uh, doing everything in our power to, to help them and serve them in some way. The last one we're going to look at is Matthew. Go back into the New Testament. Go to Matthew 23. Matthew 23, 11 to 12. And it says, The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So the greatest among you will be your servant. So if you want to be great, start serving in, in church, like, as in serve with all your heart. You know, and I, you know what? Out of all, out of knowing all you guys, you've all got servants' hearts. You, you really, you know, you're you're genuinely interested. <laughs> Nearly every time I have a conversation with any of you, you know, one of the first questions out of your mouth is, you know, how are you? How you been going? So you're asking me, and then I counter that with, and how are you? <laughs> how are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> Try to get it off yourself, and then who's ever had that sort of conversation? Yeah. I want to know about you. No, I want to know about you. No, thank you. You know it. But um, we need to consider others as greater and, and humble ourselves so that he will exalt us. So James 1.10. So slip back to James again. 
and it says, But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. The one who is rich should take pride in his low position. That, to me, is bizarre. That's a bizarre scripture um, from a worldly wise perspective. James 1.10, it says, And the rich person ought to glory in being, in being humbled by being shown his human frailty, because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. And Mark 10.25, so let's go there. And uh, this was after the rich young man came up to him. Everyone knows this scripture. And it says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel. I don't think it's easier at all. I don't think it's easy at all for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Can a camel go through the eye of a needle and stay a complete camel? You could mince a camel down, right, and thread it through over a period of weeks. (laughs) But it's not going to get through if it stays a camel. It has become mince. But what does that tell you, though? What does that tell you about getting into the kingdom of heaven? Are we rich in Australia? Mm-hmm. If you want to find out how rich you are, don't let me give you any ideas. All right? If you want to find out how rich you are, anyone here own a house? Or own half your house? Paying it off, because normally your bank owns one part of it and you own the other part. All right, sell your house... And go and live in some, you know, like the slums of Bali or something like that. Buy a house there. Would you end up with a mansion? Yeah? Go and live in India. Take all your money and go to India and buy a plot of land and put a house there. Or buy a house there. With your money, you could buy a mansion somewhere else. You know what I mean? So it tells you something about... Something's wrong here, Terrence. It tells you something about how wealthy we are. We are all pretty well rich. We are the rich man. And I'm saying this to sort of like, okay, wake up. It's not about the ultra rich man. It's just about a rich man. A rich man. We live like kings and queens and princesses and princes. We do. We have it all. We have it all, don't we? We've got all the the gadgets. We've got Plenty of food in the fridge. We've got refrigeration. We don't have to put it in a, a, a box and salt it to keep it from, you know. What do you have to do in Italy years ago? Salt it. Salt it. Put it in like a, just keep the flies off it, put it in a, like a fly-wide box. You know, that was their way of preserving things. Well, we've got refrigeration and we got, you know, hot showers. We can have a hot shower every day. Who likes cold showers? Occasionally. Middle of winter. When it's like... Really cold? Yeah. But you normally will start hot when you and then turn it off. And it's just for the thrill of it, you know. Or just it's going to make me feel very strong, wake me up. We do Imagine if you had no choice but to have a cold shower. That's it. That's all you got. If you knew nothing else, then that would, would be fine. But if you don't, if you know something else, like what it was like, you'd be saying, what about the days when we had beautiful hot water coming out of here? Remember those good old days? You know? So we, we have, we are incredibly rich. We are incredibly wealthy. Now, it says that, that a camel, to get into, the eye, into heaven, it's easier to go through a needle, a little tiny hole. So what it's saying to us is what, everything that we are has to be disassembled so that we can get in. We've got to change so many things about ourselves. We've got to become new creatures. We've got to become holy. We've got to give up the lusts of the flesh and start desiring things of the spirit. When you've got a choice, should I do this sinful activity or should I do this godly activity? What do I do? Should be if you're if you're like that camel trying to get through an eye of a needle, then it's, there's no choice. There's no decision to be made. You know. You do the right thing. Amen? Mm-hmm. We've got to give it all, all of those things up so that we can get into the kingdom of heaven. We've got to live righteous lives. But is it an effort that we make? Is it a self-made effort? Or is it 
um, yielding to the whisperings and the promptings of the Spirit. Is that what it is? It's to yield to the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit. Amen? Yeah. 1 Timothy 6, 9 to 12, and it says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Who wants to get rich? That's what you're desiring. If you want to get ultra rich, you're desiring for something that's going to plunge you into ruin and destruction. You don't want that. You know, this is the common saying that someone who's mega rich, most people say, oh, well, he surely didn't do it honestly. Can't get that rich without having done something that he's not proud of. Have you ever heard people say that? Yeah? And it begs to ask, what do you have to give up? What do you have to do to become that rich? What sort of um, things have to happen in your life? for you to get to that point where you can become that wealthy. I know in studying, um, you know, Joe Schimmel's done, they sold their souls for rock and roll. What these people have to, to give to become famous as rock stars. What people have to do to become famous in Hollywood. They have to sell their soul. They have to sell their soul. That's why the video's called They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll. They literally, and they all testify to have done it. All the big bands, Led Zeppelin, ACDC, well ACDC is pretty blatant, they tell you, you know, Hell's Bells, it's one of their songs, you know, and I'm on a highway to hell, they'll tell you straight up where they're going, they know what they've given up, and even in the song, um, uh, I think it's Hell's Bells or Highway to Hell, he says, um, I'm going to send you to hell, they tell the crowd, we're sending you to hell. So it's like, whoa, what lyrics are they? Sending the crowd to hell. And then I, I was amazed. I, I did a little bit of research on, on um, uh, ACDC and especially the early singer Bon Scott just recently. And I was watching um, some footage of ACDC. And I was just blown away because Angus Young had those, the horn song. And there's, must have been, gee, 60, 70, 80, 100,000 people, I don't know how many it was, but it was a big stadium, and it wasn't just all the stadium was full, but it's the, the ground is full too of people. They, most of them had the red horns on, so they're all dressed like demons, they're all doing the Satan salute, and they're all singing and the, the, the lyrics of the song about going to hell. They're all singing it together in unison, all these people. I'm like, broad is the road. Look at this broad road and look at the pipers that are leading them. You know the, the story of the piper that, you know, and all the mice in the city following them and to destruction, they all went off into the, the river. Was it, I can't remember the river. Was it the tent? Who knows that story? Tent? Tent? I don't know. But that's what they are. They're actually playing music and they're leading people to destruction. And that's what all these artists are doing. And especially the modern artists. They're all blatantly evil now. All the um, Keshes and the... Um, well, who's the other ones? The big Instagram... Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. Oh, she's blatantly uh, satanic. Beyonce is. Beyonce is. And um, who's the other one? The biggest one on Instagram. What's her name? She's got the most followers on Instagram in the world. Okay. Katy Perry. Okay. And the Kardashians. They're doing it too. Yeah. And these people, people worship them. And they get led down the path the same way. They're all getting led down the path. Anyone who worships Kardashians, mate, they are leading people astray. My, uh, our mechanic um, was, was beside himself because his daughter is, has, at one stage, she had left home and off living with a boyfriend. She was only like about 18. And she was really rebellious. And he said it all started when she started watching the Kardashians. She wanted to become like them. Started to try to look like them. Everything changed about her. Her personality changed completely. Next thing she knows, she's, you know, she's sleeping with boys and she's off. You know, doesn't want to be at home. 
And he was beside himself. He couldn't believe it, what the damage that just that one show has done to his daughter. And that's not just all. If you start looking at all the other artists, man. And you, then you, you try to f- be Christian in that. You try to embrace all these artists of the world that are, that are leading every, the whole world astray. And then you try to be Christian and do that still. You know, it's, it, and, and I suffer from it too because it's in front of all of us all the time. And then we wonder, why isn't the church as it should be? Why aren't we living the life we should be? Why aren't I praying more? Why aren't I reading the Bible more? Why isn't my life a service to God and a service to each other? Amen. Who sees this? 17 to 19, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world. So, this is what I have to do. Command you, any of you who are rich, those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So what he's saying is, if you're rich, see it as a blessing from God that you're rich and then use your wealth to bless the people of God, to bless the church. And it's not in my heart to t- start telling, you know, a rich man might come into this church one day, oh, you should give more to this church. I'm, I would never say that. But the scriptures say that they should be encouraged to do good deeds with their wealth. That's what it's all about. And don't have to give it to the church necessarily, but they should be using their wealth to further the kingdom of God on earth. You imagine if you had access to a billion dollars and your heart is fired up for God. You want God glorified. What what could you do for God in that way? As in, how could you serve God in that way? I know this is nearly in contrast to what I said earlier. But that's, in a sense, how the rich... Because I've heard many reports of rich men who have... They haven't given everything away, but they've given all their excess away and and they've really, really blessed the church and they've helped churches to do incredible things, send missionaries out into, you know, uncharted areas and stuff like that. And they've done incredible deeds. So in a way, they're thinking, I'm going to build treasure in heaven because I can't take this with me to the grave. How much more when you're on your deathbed? You know, you'd be saying, I take all my money now and give it away to this organisation. And you'd be just... that's how you'd want to, you know, you'd be thinking, let's just build some more treasure before I go there. And it's like that. Who's seen Schindler's List? Anyone here? Seen the movie Schindler's List? Yeah. Do you remember at the end of his, when all the uh, Jews that he had actually rescued, and he's saying, if I just could have sold this ring, I could have bought two more Jews. Why didn't I sell this car? You know, he's, he's like freaking out. Why didn't I do more? Because now they're all dead and the war's over. If he had just given everything he had, he could have just saved a few more souls from being killed in the concentration camps. And that's sort of what... You don't want to sort of be in that situation at the end of your life, going, oh, if I could have just done this, I'd be in a much better situation now. I could have just done a little bit more. And I'm sure no matter how much you do, I'm sure Paul at the end of his life, you know, um, felt like he could have done more. But we want to make sure that we do as much as we can. Amen. I heard a story about Paul yesterday, uh, according to tradition, when Paul was about to be beheaded. As he went down to be beheaded, they say he stretched his neck out as if to say, as a, as a sacrifice to God. He laid himself down and laid out where most people sort of cower in a way. He was the opposite. He, he did it for the glory of God. That, that he said, this is my final opportunity to glorify God in every single way. Freely give. I freely give of myself to this situation. You know, should we not stretch out our necks for God? You know what I mean? That's what we're called to, isn't it? Is there a lesser Christianity? Put your hand up if you think there's a lesser Christianity than this. Or do you think, in, in many respects, some of the things I've said today are speaking of the Christianity that once was 
and in many respects during the 20th century disappeared from view but is coming back quite strongly now yeah who listens to the ministry of of, of Joshua anyone here you, sh you should be what about um, Paul Washer yeah Eric Ludy yep there's some incredible ministers out there are they preaching this sort of stuff yeah no one's Yes. I've got a few nods over here, thank you. <laughs> it's good to get out of this point. Just trying to keep you involved, make it all one involved congregation. But it's a, um, you know, we are called to more. Who, who admits, who would admit in their heart that we're called to more? Yeah? I feel it all the time, guys. I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking, I'm called to more than this. What? How can I do more? Holy Spirit, help me to do more. Help me to do better in this life. I'm preaching a bit longer because you're not going to have any preaching for two weeks from me anyway, so I'm giving you a bit of extra so you can you know, save it up for the next few weeks. All right, so thank you, God. Just bless us now, Lord, as we, um, we have a shared lunch together, and I just pray your um, blessing upon each and every person here and that your uh, protection would be upon them in these coming uh, weeks over Christmas and, and through to the new year. And I pray that you cover them in your precious blood, Lord. You put your angels around them, protect them, and be with them. And uh, keep them, uh, uh, direct, uh, keep directing them in, in the things of God. So keep them strong in you, keep them praying, keep them reading the scriptures, and keep them completely devoted. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Um, and just be with us now as we fellowship together. May it be a real sense of your nearness and your um, uh, closeness to us, Lord, as we, uh, as we have fellowship time. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.